Welcome to the Worship Place Podcast. We are thankful we can worship with you and pray this message blesses your day. We look forward to seeing you in person next service. I want to look at uh, 2 Peter chapter number 3. And then we're going to read from uh, Genesis chapter number 3. This second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance. Everyone say memory. That you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. Knowing this, First, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. Everybody say time. For this they willingly are ignorant of and that by the word of God, The heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water. Whereby the word that was, the word that then was being overflowed, the world, I'm sorry, that then was being overflowed with water perished. But the heavens and the earth which are now by the same word. Everyone say by the same word. So you have to capture this. The pre-Diluvian world created by the word of God is still being sustained after the flood by the same word. So they're kept in store reserved under fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Now in Genesis 3 and verse 1, now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, yea, Hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said to the woman, Ye shall not surely die, for God doth know that in the day that ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be open, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes. The tree was to be desired to make one wise. She took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also under her husband with her, and he did And of course, 
kind of was downhill from um, then on. I want to teach from the subject, mind games. Precious God, in the mighty name of Jesus, we thank you for the power of your spirit. We pray, hand of God, be with us tonight. Open the word of the Lord to hear what God has to say to us. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. amen. You may be seated. I, uh, I kind of think that by my introducing the topic mind games, pretty much everyone has had an experience in their life where you felt like someone was playing games with your mind. Let me ask it this way. Has anyone never had a spirit or a person or a circumstance cause confusion in your mind? It's never happened? Never? I didn't think so. Part of our makeup is that we are mind and we are body and we are spirit. So the enemy loves to focus in on that feature of our existence. And uh, you can have every other thing right in your life, but if the enemy has got your mind under an attack, it becomes difficult to have peace and to actually faithfully follow God's instructions. Let me look at the Eden command, okay? Um, Maybe we ought to begin by just zooming out in history and say, at the time of Jesus, for example, teaching, all of us have probably heard that the Pharisees had added some, oh, I don't know if it was 600 and some uh, extra commandments to the commands that God had already given them. You know, hmm? So they had, what they had done was they had created this system to protect people from failing at obeying God's word. So they just, you know, built fences around God's word to keep people, presumably, from even coming close. But as we know, it wasn't much help in the end because they, Jesus said it like it was. They were sepulchers. They were whited sepulchers full of dead men's bones, right? It's going to take more than theology to save us. We must have a living encounter and experience and relationship with God. Praise God. It's just like if you're depending on your marriage license to save your marriage, God help you. You're going to need it because that document, you know, you need the document, okay, but that's not going to be an insurance policy that things are going to survive. You have to have a relationship. So, so then at the time of Moses on Mount Sinai, there were 10 commandments. But at the time of Adam and Eve, there was only one. Seems simple enough. Seems understandable enough. Of all of the things that God has provided in the garden for you to partake of, everything is yours except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. 
Unfortunately, it was right in the middle of the garden, but next to it was a tree of life. So you had two trees right there, the tree of life, the tree of death, side by side. And of course, God told them not to eat of the tree, but he gave no warning about the possibility or probability of the entrance of the serpent. This mysterious, some kind of a creature that Satan embodied himself in. He told them what not to do. And I'm not saying that God held out on them in any way. He gave them the information that they needed. But along comes a talking entity, whatever it was, Some think he took on the characteristics of something glorious like a seraph. Well, whatever it was, it spoke to her and it was subtle. In Death Valley, there are these rocks that if you go out to Death Valley and if you look it up on a video, but these are rocks that slide across the desert floor. Has anyone ever seen pictures of those? You could see the trail of the rock across the sand, but nobody ever sees the rock move. But it's obvious that there is a trail. They don't know if it's ice that causes this, or if it's wind, or if it's flooding or whatever, but whatever it is, they're still not exactly certain as to how these rocks creep across the desert floor and leave impressions. Subtle. Now, sometimes the enemy comes in like a flood, but sometimes he does come in incrementally, and he does it on such a degree that he's practically undetectable. Devil's kind of like age. You think you're aging well till you look on Facebook and see some of your friends from high school and they look like their dad. And then you say, oh, no, you know what that means? They're saying the same thing about us. But, you know, age just kind of creeps. And sometimes the enemy is shrewd and clever. And he covers his tracks. And he's crafty. And he begins by pretending to be your friend and having your best interest in mind. Don't you know that God knows that in the day you eat of this fruit that you're going to be like God? I'm, I'm, I'm just trying to, like they said, like someone said, if ever someone comes along and says, we're from the government and we're here to help, hang on to your wallet, lock the door. If anything comes from hell and says, we're here from hell, but we're here to help, they're not here to help. They're here to hurt. Let me begin by just saying, Satan is the consummate conversationalist. 
We have conversational people in our congregation, people that enjoy communicating, that communicate well. There's probably a lot of us that probably would like to be better at communicating. Well, Satan is such a conversationalist that he strikes up a conversation with Eve. And actually, Genesis 3, Eve's first recorded conversation is with the devil. I mean, after all, Adam had just called her woman. She didn't say nothing. Could have said thank you. Nothing. She goes by the tree, and now the devil strikes up a conversation, and she begins to talk to him. So her first conversation was with the serpent. Her first conversation with God was a series of excuse-making. The serpent beguiled me. When the Lord said, who told you you were naked? And did you eat the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? The serpent beguiled me. Excuse-making. Oh, God, help me understand the power of prayer and help me to use my time in prayer, not complaining, not excuse-making, not self-glorifying. Hello? Could it be that we can make some, go on some mistaken paths, even in the context of praying, thinking that we're praying when we might be making mistakes? Adam, I don't know where Adam is. He just does what he's told here. I mean, the, 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 flow, of the, the flow of the language here seems to suggest that Adam's standing right there, but some say that her husband with her doesn't, really doesn't translate that way, that he was right there. I kind of want to give him credit enough to think he wasn't there. Lest, why didn't you speak up and say something? But she brings him the fruit, and he, Adam, is kind of a flat character. Look, if you're looking, if you're looking for a life coach, you know, get it together. Come on. Give me 10. Give me 10 hallelujahs. Don't go to Adam and Eve. I mean, what do they got? They're just like, blah. They're some of the flattest characters that you'll find in the Bible. They're living in paradise. They created a perfect image of God. They got nothing to say. They can't follow simple directions. And when they're confronted with an opportunity to say to confess to their sin, they make excuses and blame everybody but themselves. You know what that tells me? The more God does for some people, the less it does for their character. Where's the character at? You really, in your Bible, don't even begin to see the, uh, how shall I say, seminal character, real character emerging until trouble strikes people. Come on, we don't get a preacher till a man is told to build an impossible ark to save animals and people, whosoever will, that took him 120 years to do. But you got a preacher on your hands now, and while he's hammering, and while he's sawing, and while he's doing, he's preaching and telling them, you got to get ready. You got to get on board. You got to get your act together. The Lord's coming. Come on. Then you got Jacob. 
My God, I'm telling you something. Jacob, God steps into the ring with Jacob. It was like this was the first MMA fight, and it was in the Bible. And a man wrestles with Jacob till the breaking of the day, and the Lord says, let me go, dude. And Jacob said, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. Come on. He cheated his brother. He's on the run for his life. He's made a lot of mistakes. He's been cheated by Laban. He's in a death match with an angel of the Lord, and he won't let go of God. Adam and Eve let go of God just like that. I mean, they gave no resistance. But you take, you, you take a little bit of a hammering along the way, and it has a way of developing a stickability about you and a determination that says, hey, I've come too far to surrender my promises that is coming from God. Now, I'm holding, I'm holding has anybody got a death grip on God and say, I'm holding on till the promise comes into fruition in Jesus' name? So, so, um, so sometimes we wonder why have we had to go through so much? Well, because God is in the business of forging character. And sometimes character, I don't know that there's any other way to do it except by going through the rigor and the training of disappointment and recovery. Genesis 3 and 1, the, the, the serpent said to Eve, Yea, hath God said, ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? I'm talking about mind games. Satan needed Eve's participation mentally in order to pull this off. How does he do that? By twisting what God says, by leaving out just enough information to create a falsehood in the mind. Now, let me, let me say this. Some, the greatest battles we'll ever fight are the battles that we fight in our mind. Satan is in the business of creating false memories. False narratives. Julia Shaw is a criminal psychologist. I'm going to, and I quote, we tend to think of memories as a perfect little time capsules, important records of past events that matter to us and make us who we are, as unchangeable as a dragonfly stuck in amber. Nice metaphor, but not correct. Well, they're anything but that. I am a memory hacker, she says. I use the science of memory to make you think you did things that never happened. She wrote a book called The Memory Illusion. In The Memory of Illusion, she talks about how false memories are formed. False memories can be deliberately placed in people's brains, leading to false police confessions that could send the wrong person to jail. She said, the mind is a series of networks, 
And these mental neural networks have to be updated uh, constantly. That's how you learn new things. Um, how you have, um, you know, mind, uh, brain plasticity that you can uh, learn new things, new habits, and so forth. But you said, what is the, that's a positive, but the dangerous part of this is every time there's a new update, every time you tell a story, you're subject to changing it just a little. I've lived to see this day when I, sometimes my wife and I recall the same event that happened 25 years ago. We have just slightly different versions of it. And I'll say sometimes, I can't believe, did that, was it really like that? I didn't remember it that way. Remember the old mimeograph? Some of you. She had copies, copies, they were purple, looked like they used purple plaster to make the copies with. You know those mimeograph copies you get at school, you can hardly read them. They'd run them off. Some of you are looking at me like, yeah. But you do know this, if you make a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy long enough, pretty soon the distortions just get out of hand. And it won't be long to you. You won't be able to read the print. So when, you, when, when the memory re, restores and restores and, and re-downloads and reboots over and over again, if we're not careful... And I'm not going to leave you with some hopeless situation. I'm going to give you the key to how to preserve all of this in a minute. But Satan uses these, these, these uh, I don't know, these vulnerabilities in us to, to create language loops, to program our mind into thinking things about ourselves that are not true and to thinking things about other people that are not true. And his ultimate goal is to get us to think things about God that is not true. Come on, somebody. Hallelujah. That's why the Bible says we are to cast down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. If you have never lived to see the day when a suggestion came into your mind that tried to tell you something about God that you knew wasn't true. Yes, it happens. God answers everybody else's prayer, but not mine. This this situation is off limits. Or God is withholding the blessing from you for some reason. Come on, somebody. Where does that, some of that kind of stuff... Look, when you find yourself thinking about God in ways that's not reinforced by what your Bible says about him, you need to rebuke it in the name of Jesus and cast it down in Jesus' name because you're in a mind war. You're in a mind game with the enemy. And, uh, and I don't know about you, but God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and a what? A sound mind. Put your hands together and thank him. So she said, in order to create a false memory in someone, what you do is you confuse imagination with memory. If you can make them imagine something in their mind, your mother told me one time that you stole something from the store and almost got it taken to jail by the police. Remember that? Well, 
No, but... So if you ignite the imagination and you couple it with the memory, then there's the potential to get them to picture something as happening that never happened. Oh, my, my, my. So here's the deal. Peter said in 2 Peter 3 and 1, this is the second epistle, beloved. I now write unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance. Here's the deal about the realm of the Spirit. Stir up is a New Testament metaphor for a renewal, for a spiritual encounter, for a move of God. Like Paul told Timothy, stir up the gift of God which was in you, which you received by the laying on of my hands. So now we get this other admonition. Stir up your pure mind. The word pure here means unalloyed, unmixed. Memories mixed with nothing but what is true. Hello? So what the whole, this is how you, how do you win the mind game against the devil? You need an anointing. You need a breakthrough. You need the Holy Ghost to come over you, on you, through you, in you. You need to talk in tongues. You need to have the presence of God all over you. And that will clear, that will stir up the pure, the unalloyed, the unmixed, the unperturbed memory. That the things that are true about you, true about God, true, oh my Lord, hallelujah. True about the church. Yes. Woo! Amen. Praise God. That's why it's never, it's never, uh, there's never a day that should go by where we don't have a spiritual encounter with God and allow the presence of God to wash over us. Romans 12 and 1, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing. So we present our bodies a living sacrifice, Romans 12 and 1, holy, acceptable unto God, which is our reasonable service. Be not conformed, but be transformed by the renewing. The word transformed. 33, 39 in the Strong's, metamorpho, you already know, comes from the very word metamorphosis. It really means something like this. Keeping Staying in keeping with inner reality. So, <laughs> when we permit the Holy Ghost to overwhelm us, it sorts out the falsehoods from the true. It sifts the enemy's attempts to create false memories, false narratives, false mind loops in us, and it sets us free from all of that. Praise God. If we don't get renewed in the spirit of our minds, we're going to be subject to being filled with data, with false data that the enemy will put in there and raise up strongholds in our imaginations. Casting down imaginations and every high thing. The high thing means presumption. The definition of presumption is the act of presuming or accepting Something to be true that may or may not be true. I want us to lift our hands right now. Let the Spirit of the Lord just touch us. 
That's why we need to pray and pray through. That's why you need a close brother, a sister, a friend. That's why you need to bounce the ideas off of people uh, that you love and have confidence in so that the enemy doesn't derail your sanity and your thought process and invade your mind. In the name of Jesus, we thank you. Let me, let me just quickly run through this. Satan tries hard. First of all, he focuses us on the negative. What the devil got Eve to do and what he will try to get you and I to do is start looking <laughs> at the things God wants us to stay away from. He wants you to focus on what God says you can't have and what the Bible says you can't do. Satan plants false memories of what God said. Did God really say you can't? Eve, didn't God say you can eat of all the trees of the garden? He's trying to plant a false memory. That is part of what God said. But he left out but of the tree, the knowledge of good and evil, the middle of the garden, you cannot eat that one lest you die. And so he succeeds in getting Eve to doubt what God said. There's no reason in the world why Eve should have doubted what God said. People wonder, what's the purpose of the book of Genesis chapter number one? Is it a scientific rundown of how uh, God created all of uh, matter and space and time for the benefit of the scientific mind? I think that's a secondary thing. It's certainly not the primary. Let me give you my rundown on what the Genesis 1 uh, scenario is all about. Let me do it by saying this. It's to reinforce the power of God's word. And God said, Genesis 1 and 3, let there be light, and there was light. Genesis 1, 6, and God said, let the firmament in the heavens, the firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide waters from waters. Verse number 9, and God let the waters under the heaven gather together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. Verse number 11. And God let the earth bring forth grass, the herb yielding seed, and the fruit tree yielding fruit after its kind, whose seed is in itself upon the earth. And it was so. Verse 14. And God... Let the lights in the firmament of the heavens be to divide day from night and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days. Praise God. Verse number uh, 20. And God... Let the waters bring forth abundantly moving creatures that hath life and fowl that may fly above the earth in the open firmament of heaven. Praise God. Verse 24, and God 
Let the earth bring forth living creatures after its kind, cattle and creeping thing and beast of the earth after his kind. And it was so. Verse 26, and God, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing. And God said, of all of the trees of the garden you shall eat, but of the tree of the midst of the garden of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat don't you see it God never disappointed everything God said turned out to be so and now the devil jumps in and attacks what God said hallelujah praise God I want to tell somebody that's under an attack go back to what God said did he say he was a healer let him heal. Did he say he was a forgiver? Let him forgive you. Did he say he was a friend closer than a brother? Let him stand by your side. Come on. Did he say that he was with you even to the end of the age? Then don't believe for one moment that he's not right there. Praise God. God said it. God said it, and I believe it, and that, let's give the Lord a hand clap. Why don't we stand to our feet? God said, God said, God said it, hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Let the word of God correct the error that the enemy has tried to implant into your mind. Take God's word over your word, over my word, over the voice of the imagination in the name of Jesus, I just felt God wanting to just do a reset, right? In our heart and in our mind and in our spirit. The mighty name of Jesus. God said it. God said it. God said it. And Satan wanted Eve to question, did God say it? Reach over to somebody and pray for them right now. I'm going to stop right there. We'll stop right there. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to pray. I'm going to pray that God gives you power to cast down imagination. Every high thing exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing to captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Stir up, stir up our mind. Stir up our pure mind. The unalloyed mind. The record of truth. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Move on me. Move on me until, until I'm renewed again and realize again that God is everything he said he would be. Hallelujah. 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 The devil wants to get you to question, is God fair? The Bible says God is just. Listen. You can't judge fairness from our point of view, but just, he's just, he knows what he's doing. My, 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 Jesus, my God, my God, my God. What looks like unfairness to you is God working out his perfect will in your life, and he's trying to form you into the kind of man or woman that he wants you to be. And you're trying to compare your life with someone else, and you're saying it's not fair that I have to go through this and they don't. It's just. There's going to come a day and time when all of the things that we wonder about are going to be reconciled. 
And you're going to see and I'm going to see how everything that we thought looked like it worked against us was God working. And so at the gate to the new Jerusalem, there's going to be these gates that are massive pearls. And you know what is at the heart of every pearl? A distress. A particle. A grain of something that it couldn't get rid of. But that grain forms the core of the pearl. The pearl builds itself around an irritation. And I just want to tell you something. The thing that you think want, that the devil wants you to charge God with as being unfair or unjust or not right, the very thing that's going to turn you into the kind of gem that God wants you to be. Let's give him thanks in the name of Jesus. We thank you right now, Lord, for the power of your spirit in the mighty name of Jesus. Thank you for the hand of God. Devil, you're a liar. You're not going to manipulate our thoughts. You're not going to control our minds. You're not going to run roughshod over our, over our sanity. You're not going to tell us things that aren't so. You're not going to implant false dialogues and false memories and false narratives. You're a liar. I stir up my mind, my pure mind, hallelujah, by way of remembrance under the power of the Holy Ghost. Lord, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, praise God, praise God.